Well, if you'd open your Bibles this evening to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we'll read verses 16 to 18. Paul says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I'd like to speak to you tonight out of verse 17, the eternal weight of glory. Let's pray before we look into the Word. Our Father, we pray that You would effectually get me out of the way and get us out of the way and give us a glimpse of reality this evening that will help us in the remainder of our journey to be faithful to You. Pull back the veil a little as we've, as we've sung tonight, Lord. Oh, breath of God. Oh, breath of life. Breath of love. Renew thought and will and heart. Lord, when You come, that's what happens. Our minds are cleared. Our wills are strengthened. Our hearts are encouraged. We pray that You'd help this evening. In Jesus' name, Amen. The weight of glory. I won't be doing much more than introducing this subject tonight. Mainly because that's all I'm able to do. I don't know enough to do much more than that. But my goal is to get us to thinking more like Paul did concerning heaven and the glory to come. Notice in the verses that we've just read that the way Paul kept from losing heart was by focusing his attention on the glory to come. You see that? Verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. How, how is that? Well, our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, temporary. The things which are not seen are eternal. Beloved, Paul was not fixated on the problems of the present. He was gazing on the glory that's coming in the future. And he tells us right here the way that he was renewed day by day, the way that he was built up internally, spiritually, was by fixing his eyes on what was to come. And this is a major theme in the New Testament, not only in Paul's writings, but in all of the apostles, it comes up. Let me just give you a few examples. In Romans 8, 
Uh, Paul says that we're heirs of God and joint heirs, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Those right together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us or toward us. So again, in the midst of suffering in the present, His focus is on the glory to come in the future. 1 Peter 1, 4-7, Peter talks about an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. He wants us to get hold of this. Reserved in heaven for you. A lot of times when we read these verses, we think reserved in heaven for that other fellow. But it's reserved in heaven for you. It won't fade away. No enemy can touch it. Nothing can get at it. It's reserved in heaven for you and it won't fade away. So, again, directing us, he says, you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. There it is. That salvation is there. It's ready. It's waiting to be revealed. In this you greatly rejoice even though now for a little while, here it is again, for a little while you've been distressed by various trials. You know, suffering is one of the main themes in First Peter. And it was, it was severe suffering. He says these things are for a little while, but our inheritance is imperishable. It will never fade away. It's untouchable. No enemy can snatch it away. First Peter 4 this comes up again. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. Here again, sufferings viewed in light of the glory. I say this comes up all through the New Testament. Another one in 1 Peter 5. He says, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you. And when Christ the chief shepherd appears, you, pastor, will receive the unfading crown of glory. Well, I say it's everywhere in the New Testament and it even comes up it not only directly, but it comes up incidentally in times when we don't even expect it. But let me give you an example. In Romans 12, you remember Paul is going through all kinds of exhortations. And he says this in verse 12, Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Rejoicing in hope. What's he talking about? Well, rejoicing exulting in hope of the glory of God, he says in Romans 5. And in Colossians 1, the hope laid up for you in heaven. So he talks about rejoicing in hope and immediately talks about persevering in tribulation. It just comes to his mind. It's automatic. If he's going to talk about tribulation or, or if he's going to talk about heaven, he talks about the two together. One of my favorites, 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, and 9. 
He says, since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Here again, this hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation. So Paul says we ought to put this hope of salvation like a helmet on our heads. Now what's he mean when he talks about the hope of salvation or the hope laid up for you in heaven or exulting in hope of the glory of God? Well, we know that in these contexts the word hope doesn't mean I hope so. That's not what hope is. Hope in this context is confident, joyful expectation of what I know is coming, but I don't have it yet. Confident, joyful expectation of what I know is coming, but I don't have it yet. And I think of one of one of the best places you might turn to this if you want to. In First Corinthians nine, we get a feel for the meaning of the word hope. First Corinthians nine, verse seven. Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? He's talking here about the right of ministers to be supported materially. I'm not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is He? Or is He speaking altogether for our sake? Now let me get this. Yes, for our sake it was written, because the plowman ought to plow in hope, and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. So, in other words, the thresher ought to thresh in confident expectation and knowledge and anticipation that he's going to be rewarded for his labors. It ought not to be a deal where a man's out there working and he has no confidence of anything coming as a result of it. The thresher ought to thresh in hope. Confident expectation of what's coming. He's going to be compensated. I remember hauling hay as a boy as I was growing up. Back in that day, we didn't have the big round bales. There were those square bales that were about size for a man. And um, you had to throw those up onto a wagon and stack them maybe four high and put something down the middle. It was hard work. And it was hot and it was sweaty. And uh, you got dusty doing that. And the thing that kept me going was something that I knew was coming. Because I had I'd done this before. And at the end of the day, when everything's done and it's dark, and you get that cold water and wash your arms off. And my dad would open his billfold and he had brand new, I don't know how he got these, crisp $20 bills. And he'd begin taking those out and paying the guys. And when I was working all day long, I'm thinking of that. It wasn't that I hoped my dad was going to pay me. I knew he was going to pay And because I had confident expectation and knew that He was going to pay, I was able able to labor in hope. That's what Paul's talking about when he talks about hope. We, we, 
we go we labor in hope and the expectation the confident expectation of something that we know is coming but we don't have it yet that's what we're talking about and beloved we have something coming we have something coming that is beyond our imagination and the glory of heaven was real for Paul just like those $20 bills were real for me he exulted in it. It was so real that he was rejoicing, exulting in confident expectation of the glory of God. And that's why he, he knew. He knew what was coming. <laughs> He'd had a glimpse of what was coming. And because of that, he was able to bear the burden in the heat of the day. So when they're scourging him or beating him with rods, he's not thinking about the beating that he's going through. He's thinking about the glory. It was like a helmet on his head. He was able to endure because he had his mind fixed on it. And he's telling us that he wants us to put on hope like a helmet on our heads. That's what he's saying. Now, imagine being a Roman soldier and going into battle without a helmet. I mean, whenever I think about Fighting with swords. I mean, to me, that makes fighting with guns look like nothing. You, can you imagine taking a man's head off with a sword, what that would be like, and having to kill, having to, coming up against guy? Well, can you imagine going out in that kind of a battle and your head's, you know, like this, nothing on your head? And beloved, I'm sorry to say, but I think I've done that many times. Been in the heat of trial. Been in the heat of difficulty. Had the wind taken out of me in some way or another. And never once think about what's coming. The glory. Paul was thinking about it. Never once strengthening. I mean, how is it for you? Do you strengthen yourself with the thought that very, very soon the battle's going to be over? Very, very soon. All of the, all of the tribulation, all of the difficulties, swallowed up in a glory that is beyond anything we can even imagine right now. Listen to what Paul says. I has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love Him. One translation has it like this, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. No mind has imagined. You think, oh, I can imagine a little bit about it. No, you can't. We wouldn't know anything. These things are so inconceivable, we would not know anything except Paul goes on and says, God has revealed them in a measure. He's given us a glimpse of them by His Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can give us a glimpse of these realities, and He had done that for Paul. And this is the helmet that Paul wants us to be wearing too in the midst of our battles. So, the question I would ask is, how is it for you tonight? Some of you may be going through severe trials. You may feel that your faith is growing thin. You may feel like you're not going to make it. Have you got a helmet on? Are you wearing your helmet? 
do you realize in a few more heartbeats, you, if you're a child of God, you're going to be caught up in such a glory as you cannot imagine. You know what Jesus said? He said, then shall the righteous, when they gather, and the, and the wicked are cast into the furnace of fire, then shall the righteous shine forth like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. You go out and look up at the sun tomorrow, but don't do it because it will blind you. If you're a Christian, that's what you're going to look like in a very short time. And we again, we can look at some brother or sister that's farther along than we are and think, I can imagine them shining like the sun. I can picture that. But we're, Jesus is talking about you. When Christ is revealed, when His glory is revealed, then, think of this, you also will be revealed. Christians will be revealed. You also will be revealed with Him in glory. The battle is going to be over. The race is going to be won and death is going to be swallowed up in victory. Now why is it that we're not wearing this helmet like Paul did? <clears throat> well, part of the reason, I think, is that we're not going through the things that Paul went through. And if we were being beaten times without number and some of the other things that he mentions, then heaven becomes more real. He actually said, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. And there are some people tonight that are being tortured in China and other places. They could say that along with Paul. But life's pretty comfortable for us. So that's part of the reason that we're not thinking of heaven and the hope to come. But I think probably a bigger reason is that we have seen so little of what Paul saw. We've seen so little of the glory to come. We felt so little of the reality. And that's why Paul prays for the Ephesians. And he's praying that the eyes of our heart might be enlightened so that they might know what is the hope of His calling and what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. So he's praying for them. He's saying, praying, I'm I'm praying that God would open your eyes to see the riches of the glory of God's inheritance in the saints. Why would he pray like that? Because he had seen something of it, and he's praying for Christians to see something of it. He's talking about, you know, it's, he, we're not talking about some tingly feeling. We're not talking about just reading the Bible. We're talking about the Holy Spirit giving you a glimpse of heaven. Of reality. And that's why the Holy Spirit is called the earnest of our inheritance. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste. He's a, it, the Holy Spirit coming is a foretaste of heaven. A little installment of heaven. And when He comes, He reveals the things that are unimaginable. That have never entered into the heart of man. One time in Germany, it's been probably it's over 45 years ago, I guess. I was 
I was there uh, by myself mopping the floor of this uh, coffee house that we had, uh, listening to Scripture courses, uh, different verses, and one of them had something to do about eternal life. Maybe he that believeth on the Son is true hath everlasting life. Maybe that was it. I don't remember. But suddenly it dawned on me. I have eternal life. I have eternal life. Eternal life. You just, you know, we're not seeing it 99% of the time. We're not seeing I have eternal life. That's what we're talking about. God just giving us a little glimpse of it. Paul uses two very powerful contrasts there in 2 Corinthians 4 to try to get these realities across to us. First of all, he contrasts that which is light with that which is heavy. Our light afflictions versus a weight of glory. He's contrasting these two. Light affliction, weight of glory. So what light affliction did Paul have in mind? Well, we know a few of the things. Let me read them to you. For I think, I think God has exhibited us apostles, last of all, as men condemned to death. Because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We're fools. For Christ's sake, we're weak, we're without honor. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. Do we believe that? The Apostle Paul said, right up until the time he's writing, hungry and thirsty, and are poorly clothed, and are roughly treated. We picture the apostles being on the front cover of some glossy magazine. They're roughly clothed, poorly treated, roughly treated, poorly clothed, hungry and thirsty, and are homeless. You know, I picked up this homeless guy. What's his name? Apostle Paul. (laughs) Homeless. And we toil working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure. When we're slandered. So he's reviled persecuted, slandered. We try to conciliate. We've become as the scum of the world. The dregs of all things even until now. So right up to that time. Scum. Dregs. But that's just the beginning, isn't it? Listen to this. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, if I was in prison one time for the cause of Christ, I'd probably talk about it the rest of my life. He says, in far more imprisonments, how about this? Beaten times without number. Isn't that incredible? Beaten times without number. Often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Now that's, what, 195 times. 195 lashes. Have you ever seen anybody's back that's been whipped? I mean, scar tissue, big lines of scar tissue. Could you imagine if you've been whipped 200 times? 200 lashes? 
I mean, the skin on his back must have been a half an inch thick with scar tissue. I don't know if that's worse than the next one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. We know he was unconscious there. They left him for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep, floating around out there on the Mediterranean. I've been on frequent journeys. We complain about uh, the seats being so scrunched up on the plane. He wasn't riding on a plane. Frequent journeys, it's interesting he says that. In dangers from rivers and dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, there's the Jews, Dangers from the Gentiles. Dangers in the city. Dangers in the wilderness. Dangers on the sea. Dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many... Now this one struck me. Through many sleepless nights. How many of us could say we've been through many sleepless nights? In hunger and thirst, often without food. In cold and exposure. And he says, oh, that's external. Apart from those external things, there's the daily pressure upon me for of concern for all the churches. All of them. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? So Paul looks at all that and he says, our light affliction... Our light affliction. Now. now let me ask you a question. How heavy must the glory be if all that is light? Paul answers it. He says it's heavy far beyond all comparison. Far beyond all comparison. You say, I don't get that. No, because you haven't seen what he saw of heaven. He had gotten a fuller glimpse of heaven than what most of us have. And again, that's why he prayed what he did for those Ephesians that we might know the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Some of you know Edward Payson. He is buried out there in Portland, Maine, where the actually where the fellowship conference takes place in August. He was a minister there, Edward Payson, 1783 to 1827. But during his final illness, the Holy Spirit gave him a glimpse of what Paul was talking about. In a letter to his sister, he says this, Were I to adopt the figurative language of Bunyan, I might date this letter from the land of Beulah, of which I have been for some weeks a happy inhabitant. The celestial city is full in my view. Its glories beam upon me. Its breezes fan me. Its odors are wafted to me. Its sounds strike upon my ears and its spirit is breathed into my heart. Nothing separates me from it but the river of death, which now appears to be as an insignificant rill that may be crossed at a single step whenever God shall give permission. 
The Son of Righteousness has been gradually drawing nearer and nearer, appearing larger and brighter as He approached. And now He fills the whole hemisphere, pouring forth a flood of glory, in which I seem to float like an insect in the beams of the sun, exulting yet almost trembling, while I gaze on this excessive brightness and wondering with unutterable wonder why God should deign thus to shine upon a sinful worm. Now, he said he was in this condition for some weeks. The reality of the glory, seeing it. He says, oh, my sister, my sister, could you but know what awaits the Christian? Could you know only so much as I know? He's just getting a little glimpse. Could you know only so much as I know, you could not refrain from rejoicing and even leaping for joy. Labors, trials, troubles would be nothing. You would rejoice in afflictions and glory in tribulations and like Paul and Silas, sing God's praises in the darkest night and in the deepest dungeon. Then he's writing to another pastor. Payson was a pastor. He said, oh, if ministers only saw the inconceivable glory that is before them and the preciousness of Christ. They would not be able to refrain from going about leaping and clapping their hands for joy and exclaiming, I'm a minister of Christ. I'm a minister of Christ. Well, that's what Paul had seen. And that's what he was praying for the Ephesians and that's what enabled him not to lose heart. So, Beloved, we need to pray that the Holy Spirit, and that's why we sang these songs, O breath of God, we need to pray that the Holy Spirit would give us glimpses of reality. We're not talking about something that isn't real. We're talking about things that we, we just, re- well, yeah, now, yeah, you know, I've, when I became a Christian, I had eternal life, and someday we're going to shine like this. Can you imagine what we're saying? Eternal life shining like the sun in the kingdom of our Father? Revealed with Him in glory? In Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan talks about this. Uh, He says when they were on the Delectable Mountains, they saw, they got a glimpse of the city. They could see the gate. This is what happened to Edward Payson. But they're uh, uh, Christian and faithful are going down the road and they see somebody coming. He gets closer and closer. His name's Atheist. And uh, he said, where are you going? They, They said, we're going to the celestial city. He starts laughing. He said, I've been further than you are. There's no city up there. You're wasting your time. And they begin talking to one another and one of them says, wait a minute. We caught sight of the city when we were on the mountain. Beloved, if you have ever had the Holy Spirit give you just a little glimpse, pull back the veil a little bit, you've caught sight of the city. And then one of them said, yeah, and besides that, we've got to walk by faith, not by sight. <laughs> That's a good reminder too. <clears throat> Payson, listen to him again. Could you but know what awaits the Christian? Could you know only so much as I know? Labors, trials, and troubles would be nothing. You would rejoice in afflictions and glory and tribulations. Why? Because those things are light. 
and the glory is weighty. Now, Paul gives another contrast here in 2 Corinthians 4. The afflictions are not only light, they're temporary. And the glory is not only heavy, but it's eternal. <clears throat> and once again, eternity is something that's utterly beyond our comprehension. I can conceive of a rope a million miles long. I mean, I can do it right now. Just imagine it going out there part way toward the sun. You can, you can probably do better. You can conceive of a rope a trillion miles long. Why don't you do it in your mind? A trillion miles. But you can't conceive of a rope that only has one end. It starts in this lifetime and goes on forever. After you've gone a trillion miles out there, you're not one iota closer to getting to the end because there isn't any end. We can't conceive of eternity, but we can conceive of that which is temporary. Things that are temporary. Life is temporary. My grandfather lived to be 92 and he told me one time towards the end of his life, he said, you know, I still feel like I'm in my 20s. And I, I know uh, what he was talking about. I mean, I still, when I'm around the college students, I have to remind myself, now wait a minute, they think of me as an old man. They don't realize I'm still in my 20s. <laughs> but do, have you had this? Every now and then, it's very seldom that it's ever happened. But every great once in a while, it just, bam, it hits you. I'm going to die. It's going to happen very, very quickly. I mean, we're rapidly approaching. And the time, I mean, if you're not a Christian here tonight, the time is going to be there before you know it. You know how sometimes, like as a student, I remember I'd study for a test. We've got that big test coming up, you know, in, in two months. It's far away, but you're studying, you know, maybe. And it gets a little closer. All of a sudden, there you are. The hour has come. And it, you know, like I said, I can only believe it every once in a while. Every, you know what I'm talking about it right here. Every now and then, you know, a little glimpse, I'm going to die. I'm going to be there. You're going to be there. And if you're not right with God, you're in a desperate situation. And if you are right with God, what in the world are you so worried about this thing you're going through right now? It's temporary. It's just nothing. It's light compared to this glory that's coming. Difficulties are temporary. Trials are temporary. Setbacks are temporary. Sufferings are temporary. Soon. Very soon. Whatever I'm facing right now, you may be weary. You may be weary in the battle. That it's going to be over so fast. Soon shall the cup of glory wash down earth's bitterest woes. I don't think we had that verse in the sands of time. Soon shall the cup of glory wash down earth's bitterest woes. Soon shall the desert briar break into Eden's rose. Soon. Wash down earth's bitterest woes. People that are being tortured, some people are being tortured to death. 
the instant they wake up, it's all washed out. Everything's forgotten. Washed away in a moment. There's a card that uh, we've shared a lot with people who have lost a loved one. It's entitled, Absent from the Body, Present with the Lord. It goes like this, Oh, think, oh, think, to step on shore. And that shore, heaven, to take hold of a hand, and that, God's hand. To breathe a new air. You know, you just breathe it in. You find it celestial air. To feel invigorated and know it immortality. Oh, think to pass from the storm and the tempest into one unbroken calm. To wake up and find it glory. Oh, think. To step on a shore. All that will happen in a moment. <clears throat> the tempest of life will be gone. And they'll seem like nothing. To step on a shore and that shore of heaven. Well, what's the shore of heaven going to be like? Well, he says, one unbroken calm. Celestial air. Feeling invigorated. I can almost imagine that, you know. Instantly. You're alive and you're invigorated. The righteous shining forth like the sun. No more sin. Think of this. Nothing whatsoever inside of you with any pull towards anything evil. Nothing but good flowing out of you. Love. Such love. I mean, even in this lifetime when the Holy Spirit is poured out on a person, they're flooded with love. They love everybody they see. Think of think of heaven as a world of love. Every looking at every person that you meet and being filled with love for them. Joy, such joy, joy unspeakable. And peace, peace that passes understanding. Glory, honor, and peace. Paul says. Peace that passes understanding. No death, no tears. Glorious fellowship with the saints. There's one song, what a gathering that will be when each other's face we see. What a gathering of the ransom in that summer land of love. Praises going up from a multitude that no man can number. Think of this, it's, it's a blessing to be, the very first fellowship conference we had was in a smaller building and the singing was incredible. This building swallows up all the sound. Up here in the front is not bad, I can hear. But um, can you imagine, I mean, a lot of you were out here in this picture that uh, we took this morning. Could you imagine all the saints of all time from the beginning of history all the way till this time, all this vast multitude raising up a shout of praise to God. <laughs> it's fearful. In Revelation it says, like the sound of many waters. I thought of this at Niagara Falls. You know, it's deafening. You can you shout in one another's ears. And like mighty peals of thunder. 
It's one thing to hear thunder from a distance, but one time when I was growing up, I was standing in the doorway. It was raining hard, and um, there was a screen door there looking out, and a bolt of lightning came right down in, in front of me in the garden. And the, the volume of that thunder was terrifying. Think of the shout going up from all the saints of all time as they say, Hallelujah! <laughs> Give praise to our God. Hallelujah for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Are we back to working again? Okay. Well, that's the shore of heaven. But I've left out the biggest thing, haven't I? I've left out what makes heaven heaven. Heaven is where Christ is. Paul says, having a desire to depart and be in heaven. No, he doesn't say that. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ. That's what he was looking forward to. So when he's saying all these things about our light affliction and so on, he's thinking of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.8 Willing rather to be absent from the body and to be in heaven. No, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Father, I desire that they also whom Thou hast given Me be in heaven. Be with Me where I am, that they may behold My glory. In My Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told You, for I go to prepare a place for You, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you into heaven. No, I'll receive you unto Myself. Stephen, as he's dying, I'm going to heaven. No, Lord Jesus, receive My Spirit. Death for the Christian is not going to heaven. Death for the Christian is going to be with the Lord. The bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face I will not gaze at glory, but on my King of grace. Not at the crown He gifteth, but on His pierced hand, the Lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's Lamb. And Payson, that thing he wrote, the Son of Righteousness, Christ, has been gradually drawing nearer and nearer, appearing larger and brighter as He approached. Now He fills the whole hemisphere, pouring forth a flood of glory. That's heaven. People say, when, when I see Jesus, I'm going to ask Him such and such. I, I doubt that. John, who, who was rested in the Lord's bosom, he said, when I saw Him, I fell at His feet like a dead man. The King there in His beauty, without a veil, is seen. It were a well-spent journey though seven deaths lay between. Isn't that true? I mean, suppose you had to die seven times. well-spent journey. It'll be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of His dear face 
all sorrow will erase, so gladly run the race till we see Christ. The Lamb is all the glory in Emmanuel's land. And heaven is to be with Him where He is. I want to close by reading an account from Mrs. Lloyd-Jones. In her little book, Memories of Sandfield, she tells about some of the people who were converted uh, in uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones' first pastorate there at Sandfields in Wales. And one was Staffordshire Bill, who was an elderly drunkard. And he was in the in a bar and he overheard some men talking. He said, That preacher down there said there's hope for anyone, and that's and when he heard that he thought maybe there's hope for me. He was converted. And uh, he lived a few more years, I think three or four years after that. And then he fell sick. And Martin Lloyd Jones and one of the men there in the church went to visit him. And this is her account. She says, They found the old man propped up in his bed, the little wife in anxious anxious attendance. The first glance told it all. The labored breathing and the high fever told their tale. He had double pneumonia. And this was before the day of modern drugs. He was far away somewhere, but responded to a greeting and a prayer. He was obviously at perfect peace, And all the evidences of the old sinful, violent life were smoothed out of a now childlike face. I told a little more about him. He was such a drunkard. He was a fish salesman, fishmonger, and he would take his wagon full of fish. And by the end of the day, he was so drunk, he'd pass out and fall back into the fish. And the horse knew the way home and would take him home. That's the life he lived until God saved him. So here he is labored breathing, double pneumonia. She says, the minutes passed and became an hour and more. Then suddenly, the painful sound of the difficult breathing seemed to stop. The old man's face was transformed, a light, radiant. He sat up eagerly with upstretched arms and a beautiful smile on his face as though welcoming his best of friends. And with that, he was gone to that land of pure delight where saints immortal reign. Raised up. And what happened? He went to be with Jesus. What happened? Um, Brother Michael uh, shared about Conrad Merle. At the Bentley camp that he used to host, there was an old uh, Baptist pastor who used to attend, Joe Hamrick. And uh, some of you knew Brother Bob Woodruff Bob was the one that told this story. Joe's wife had related it to him. But in his final illness, Joe's heart stopped beating. And they were able to get him revived. And his wife said, Joe, did you see the Lord? He had a real deep voice. He said, no. And he went on for some time. His heart stopped again. They got him revived again. And she said, Joe, did you see the Lord? No. Went on for a while longer. His heart stopped again. And Joe says, Lord Jesus. And he was gone. 
Same thing, wasn't it? Same thing as Staffordshire Bill. He went to be with the Lord. So, dear struggling saint, put on your helmet. Put on the confident, joyful expectation that in a few more heartbeats you will be with Christ. It is going to happen. That was... That was settled 2,000 years ago when Jesus said, Father, I will that those whom You have given Me be with Me where I am that they may behold My glory. That settled it. If you're a Christian, you're going to be with Him in a few more heartbeats. You're going to be beholding. You're going to be with Him where He is beholding His glory. It's impossible that He should ask anything out of God's will. It's impossible that He should ask anything in unbelief. I thank Thee that you hear me always. God heard him. So he said, Father, what I want, I want everyone that you've given me, every Christian, I want them to be with me where I am beholding my glory. That settled it. And in a little while, you're going to be there. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, keep sober in spirit. Peter says, 1 Peter 1.13, Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Fix your hope completely on that. So may God help us to begin to think a little bit more scripturally on these things. Amen.